You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Downton Abbey. No maid, no valet, no nanny even. It's 1927. We're modern folk. King and Queen are coming to Downton. What? I want every surface to gleam and sparkle. A royal luncheon, a parade and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. How's it all going? Mary's got it under control. Hardly. I need your help, Carson. I'll be there in the morning, my lady. Don't you worry. Should we really go on with it? You mean leave Downton? is the heart of this community and you're keeping it beating. Remember to pray for us. I'll put in a word. Your Majesties, welcome to Downton Abbey. Will you have enough cliches to get you through the visit? If not, I'll come to you. Oh, here we go. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Downton Abbey, and the story is as follows. The continuing saga of the Crawley family and the servants who work for them in the English countryside in the early 20th century. The film is starring Hugh Bonneville, Jim Carter, Michelle Dockery, Elizabeth McGovern, Maggie Smith, Imelda Staunton, and Penelope Wilton. It is directed by Michael Engler and written by Julian Fellows. Joining me for this podcast review of a movie, not of a TV movie, is Nicole Ackman. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Dan Baer. What is a weekend? (laughs) That was really good, Dan. And Tom O'Brien. Can't top that. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. Downton Abbey. Okay, not to be confused with the television series of the same name. Uh, We are doing Downton Abbey the film, Downton Abbey the movie, whatever you want to call it. This is an actual theatrical release based on of a television series of the same name, uh, written and created by Julian Fellows, won a number of Emmys over the years. You've probably heard of it. Hence why Focus Features, I suppose, uh, thought it would be a good idea to release it as a theatrical film. It's got quite a following. And we always hear this all the time with certain uh, television properties. We always hear stuff like with Breaking Bad, uh, which is going to have a movie coming out on Netflix. A little bit different. Uh, Or people were saying like, oh, Game of Thrones should end with like a two-hour movie. I remember that was being floated around at one point. But here we are. We actually do have the continuation of a story that started on television 
in theaters. And the reason why I'm kind of harping on this over and over and over again is because I, I got a lot of things to say about just this unique situation. Um, and maybe even less so about the movie itself as a result, because uh, there's going to be a lot of people that go into this that if you're not familiar with the television series, it's virtually, I don't want to say impossible to follow because that's not exactly true. I do think in a vacuum, there are things that definitely work, but there are beats and moments and uh, things dealing with the characters that will certainly resonate a lot more with people that have seen every single season of Downton Abbey. Yours truly has only ever seen season one. Back when he thought it was a miniseries. <laughs> I always meant to get around to watching uh, the rest of Downton Abbey. I, I really did because I enjoyed the miniseries. It's just something that never happened. And I still to this day, I even remember saying to myself, oh, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. You know, it's there. It's I could just stream it anytime. It's there. This was the situation where I should have been like, no, Matt, the movie's coming. You need to do it. <laughs> like, this is the time. Well, guess what? Still didn't do it. I did watch all of it um, the year that I was living in London in like a three-month period. So it's very doable. It's very easy to do. It is it, compulsively watchable. And Richard E. Grant is in it, Matt, in a couple of episodes. Like, you yeah. have to watch it. You don't have to sell me on it. I mean, like, I like what I saw. I'm good. I'm good. It's just that there are other things that are taking priority, especially, uh, you know. Sure. Yeah, so it is what it is. And I, I'm saying this for anyone that saw the movie, that went in, maybe they got dragged to see the movie, I don't know. And they walked out of it just like, huh? Confused. Tom, I, I know you've got some thoughts uh, just on this very unique situation itself. Um, like, like what, what comments do you have about just the theatrical experience of watching uh, Downton Abbey? Well, initially, I mean, actually, just listening to you just right now, I think your perspective is really valuable to our listeners, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who never saw a single episode. At least you saw the first season. So you have some idea of some of these people. Yeah, um, I am probably not as passionate a fan of Downton Abbey's as you were of Game of Thrones, but... <laughs> I, like you, watched every single episode of every single season, some several times, and I am an enormous fan. And I have to say, I'm not mixed about the movie. I'm torn about the movie. Because, <gasps> no, stop, stop. On, on one hand, as a fan, and I'm speaking with my fan hat on, it was like a warm bath. It was like, oh, all my friends are back. Oh, you know, oh, Mr. Carson's out of retirement for this. Oh, this is great. <laughs> and oh, Lady Edith is finally happy. And, and Lady Mary is as screwed up as ever. I, I loved it. And I, and I came out of it saying, that was great. With my critics hats on, hat on, I'd have to say, it's not great. Um, because my slight gripe, uh, with it is that it's not really a film. It's a wonderful, very special episode of Downton Abbey on the big screen. And I say that only because 
it's shot like a TV show. I also say it too because um, not just the way that it's shot, but also because for me, and, I'll, and I'll, this is my last thing I'll say about this before we get to general thoughts specifically about the film itself, unless if someone's got a retort, but I believe that the theatrical experience is meant to be literally for everyone. And when you start taking um, something from one medium and continuing it in another, now what you're basically doing is you're not is you're saying this isn't for everyone. This is really just for these people over here. Okay, I've got two thoughts. So, on that. <laughs> I think Nicole and I are about to say the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> my thing with it is that I think that that is kind of has become an outdated. Um, not that I'm trying to like call you outdated or anything, Matt, but point of view and that. If you, I, I knew people who went to see Avengers Endgame who had not seen any Marvel movies. Yeah. I was going like, to make this comparison. Wait. And I think that you can't, like, at the same time say that Avengers Endgame was a great movie and say that Down Abbey isn't for for that reason. You know no, I mean? no, 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 no. I, I hear what you're saying, and I was prepared because I knew that someone was going to bring this up. That was something that started in the cinema. And continued in the cinema, and it was... I mean, it didn't start in the cinema. It started in comic books. Yes, it but... started in comic books. <laughs> and, like, honestly, there have been TV shows that... But you didn't had... need to know the comic books in order to start with film one. Uh, I would say that the amount that you're going to enjoy film one if you haven't read the comic books is much less than... Let me put it to you this way, using the, the Marvel thing as an example, because here's a great example. The reverse is happening with Disney Plus where they're taking the storylines from the movies Mm -hmm. and they're continuing some of them in the TV show. Mm -hmm. And if you have not seen the movies and then you go to watch the TV show, two different formats here, you know, and just this whole hopping around thing. I I, I don't think that clearly it's catered towards fans. It's not catered towards a general audience audience but the and same guess, thing was true of star trek yes no yeah. and, I, and i i actually agree i agree with you same thing is true of twin peaks fire walk with me i agree with you with on of both of those park the same thing is true of serenity of the simpsons movie of sex in the city of the x Files. I, I would have the exact same <laughs> co- comments to say about all of those dan but see but that's the thing when it has when it has happened so many times this is just another example of a type of of theatrically released movie. But what it is, though, what it really is, is it's the first time that we're ever discussing it on the podcast. Okay, I also have to say that, you know, I've seen seen people talking about, oh, it's shot just like the TV show, but it really isn't. If you've watched the whole TV show, you know that typically, for example, if if we have people coming off or onto a train, we see a little shot of a train and we see them get on it, and then we don't see it again. There's an uptick in production value here. I'll, I'll admit to that. In the movie, yeah. you get to see the train moving yeah. from above. It's thrilling. Like, as someone who has watched the whole show, then to see it done on a bit of a grander scale is yeah, definitely. crazy. And that's the whole, and that I would argue, is the whole point of if you're going to make, you know, a an episode and because that is as i won't deny it that's essentially what any film based on a tv series is it's a theatrically released episode of a tv show that's Mm -hmm. what any of them are but the whole point is to fill the big screen with something that is you know would not feel the same in your home viewing situation although i would argue that like with the with a lot of shows recently um, that have been called very quote unquote cinematic in the way they were shot, 
Um, Game of Thrones is one. Breaking Bad is another. I, I, I don't. I think the line between how TV shows and films are shot and how they look is growing thinner by the day. I agree with you on that. But what I will not agree on, I will not agree if you sit there and tell me that this movie is for everyone. I My it's question not, is, why does it have to be? Yes, exactly. Because yeah. the cinema is a communal experience where it's anybody should be able to walk in and say, what should I see? Oh, let me go see this. I don't know what I'm in for. Let me sit down and watch it. I don't know that I agree with that. And I think that particularly because this film appeals to a demographic that doesn't always feel represented in mainstream movies that you get at the cinema, particularly like my mother and her friends who my mom almost never goes to the movies unless she's going with my sister to see a Marvel film, because that's what, you know, my family does as a group. She went with me. She's planning to go with her best friend. She and my dad are probably going to go a third time. Like, and I think that there's a group of people who often don't feel like there's anything for them in the mainstream you know, no, I think we're talking about two different things here, though. I, I get that. There's a lot of movies that I would say cater towards that demographic, but um, you're right. They're rare. Um, best best exotic Marigold Hotel, exactly. you know? Yes. Sure. But what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about the story. I'm talking about having to have this asterisk next to this movie for all eternity of you need to have some idea prior beforehand, not based on any sequels that uh, were pe- previously released in the cinema, like the rules for all other sequels out there. But you need to have invested X amount of hours in this TV show to enjoy this movie at the level that those that have will. I Matt, guess I just don't I see how you. that's that different from an Avengers Endgame situation where you have to have... Because it's, it's two different formats. Two different it formats. But why does that matter in this day and age, Matt? Like, whenever there's such a blur between television and film, I feel like, where they're and not it's the all so readily accessible. Were. I think this will be up for the listeners to decide. And I think that there are both uh, arguments made here uh, pretty well now. Um, and with them all out of the way, uh, we can now focus on the film itself. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think based on our initial comments here, I think it's pretty clear uh, how all parties, you know, feel about the movie. But what I would want to do is this. Um, let's let's ask a question. Let's uh, go based off of that. Is there any uh, particular storyline in the Downton Abbey film that uh, they continued wrapped up, if you will, um, that left you the most satisfied? Yes. Yes. Yeah. For, for me, it was Thomas Barrow. Same. Yes. Yes. I'm, yes. Really, really liked everything that uh, this character went through in this, except for I, for me, the only thing I really just like didn't like is it just felt like the the movie was trying to cram in too many storylines at once. Was like this botched assassination attempt thing. Well, well uh, no, I'm, I'm talking. Yeah. About, I'm talking about the gay character. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm mixing them up. Uh, yeah. My bad. I'm thinking of the other Tom. I'm thinking of the other Tom. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. I mean, both of whom I stand, but yeah, yeah. and and, and <laughs> those are the, those are the two main storylines that are new in terms of resolving things. Uh, mm-hmm. The the Barrow one is something that probably PBS and BBC might not have wanted to necessarily go through in you know on for television, but uh, it was fascinating to see what, to see the character who began as a villain. Mm-hmm. He was 
dastardly in the first couple of seasons. And he was meant to be written off after the first season. Like, yes. he was, and then fans though loved him. And obviously, also, um, Robert, um, Robert James Collier is such an incredible actor that, like, yeah. To be able to get to see him continue and have more to work with. like and to, and to have fellows be smart enough to be able to make a very believable change in him. It's almost like wrestling. He was a heel and now he's a he's a baby. Yeah. <laughs> he did. Uh, he did a perfect turn, yes. And 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 you really do feel for him in this because it's very, you know, I can imagine how difficult it would be to get be a gay man in England in a small town and then suddenly find your people. And that was something I didn't expect at all in this. I cried uh, like a baby. Really liked that scene at the speakeasy a lot. It was yeah. wonderful. It felt so great. <laughs> oh, I just sat there crying and I looked around and all these like older women around me were crying. And I was like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so so are you all in agreement that that was the uh, storyline for all three of you? Or does anyone have any, any others? That was certainly my favorite. Um, storyline is in terms of it being a full actual storyline yeah. mm-hmm. because i think if we're talking about you know the the thing that happened that i liked the best and i'm sure i won't be alone here it is the scene with maggie smith and michelle dockery oh, God. where hey. Where Maggie Smith comes for all the Oscars, but also really where the Dowager Countess admits that she has got a prognosis, a medical prognosis of that death is coming very soon. (laughs) Which is definitely something that was not shocking to me. Um, No, not shocking at all. But the way it's done is so good. Yeah. Well, it's it's a beautifully written scene. Yes. And Maggie Smith sells it very well. Yeah. And she is so phenomenal. And she has been so consistently phenomenal. And I also think it's a bit of a full circle moment that like, and it kind of hit me that like, you know, part of what they're saying is that like her, her real heir, her spiritual and, you know, heir, whatever is Mary. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I think it gives us this idea of who this character of Mary Lee, who has had so many ups and downs and can be such a bitch and then, you know, throw you completely the other way and be like, wait, no, I love her. Um, you know, you, you have an idea of this is who she is. She is Violet's granddaughter and that is who yeah. she will be. Mm-hmm. And that is the strength that they have had to have to make it in this world that is, you know, so patriarchal. What's very interesting is that the, um, storylines pertaining to uh the family themselves uh actually for me was not the most riveting it was actually everything going on with the servants that has always been true of downton abbey yeah. though like I yeah think that all through, and the only like exception to that i think would always be the storylines in the earlier seasons with the character of sybil but of course those were so intertwined with the servants that i think that that's why they worked like mm-hmm but I think the servants have always had more fun. And I have to say, it was so good to see Anna and Bates get to just, like, have some time that yes. neither one of them had been arrested. No one was on <laughs> trial for murder. No one was in prison. I no was like, thank no God. No one was raped. <laughs> yeah. I was, like, can, I was like, this is all I've ever wanted, to see the two of them just, like, have a moment to breathe and be happy. Like, <laughs> And I also loved, I, I loved everything to deal with the 
everything that was dealing with Carson, basically. Oh. Oh, I love so- him coming back and taking over from Barrow. Barrow being like, okay, bitch, have it your way. And <laughs> then I'll go find me a man. <laughs> with the king and queen's staff. And him just going, well, well, if that is how protocol must go, but I don't like it. Also, it was everything just, I ever want from Carson. It's yeah. so heartwarming. Everything dealing with uh, their... Um, competition or whatever you want to call it, if you will, with the Royal family's uh, servants was absolutely priceless. Um, You know, you could, you could see it all coming a mile away in terms of how it would actually like play out within the story. But there is such a likability to every single one of the actors here on the show and uh, the show uh, on see, you guys got me all confused now is a show or a movie, whatever Um, in this story. And the way that the, uh, plot itself just moves along um it moves very very quick this is not a slow you know english drama if you will this this definitely has a great deal of entertainment value and it zips along as quick as maggie smith's uh, zingers do you know they it, it's really really great in terms of the entertainment value that's true and, and julian fellow script i mean he has a, he has a major challenge here because we have 20 characters who oh the balancing act oh yeah fans love and he he, he you know feels obligated to give everyone a little bit of a storyline but need to contain it within two hours and, and needs to add well, all these- now I got a question yeah. and I got a question in regards to that um, and maybe you guys can help me out here because I'm a little out of the loop um, there are there are new characters in this yeah movie that are in the show correct okay yes all right so who's your number one standout amongst those characters that are new here oh my god okay having Imelda Staunton on as a character is so incredible particularly because she's married to Jim uh Jim Carter who plays Carson yeah so to get to see them and I okay this is like my little yay me story but um I interviewed (laughs) Imelda Staunton one time um (laughs) on the Olivier's red carpet and Jim Carter was with her holding her umbrella as she went down the press line um so like after getting to see them together as a couple and they've been together since 1982 um to get to see them in a movie and to get to see her get to be a part of this thing that's been such a huge part of her husband's life and also to have such a wonderful fun character and get to see like to throw another fantastic english woman in amongst maggie smith and (laughs) penelope wilton and also, like, to reunite Umbridge and McGonagall <laughs> yeah. was the best thing ever. <laughs> I, I also have to say, like, it gave me a lot. It gave me a lot of like happiness when they were doing the opening credits that all the three dames were last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do it alphabetically, so it's not like they did it on purpose. But like, it just happened. I, I love that so much. It made me very happy. <laughs> now, which characters that didn't return were the most sorely missed here? Lily James as Lady Rose. Yeah, yeah that was that was probably the big one. That was very sad. She's so fun. And also, I feel like the, the role of Rose kind of was a stand-in to me, it felt like, after they had killed off Sybil, who oh. was kind of this young, fun, revolutionary, forward-thinking figure obviously jessica brown finley leaves the show and she's killed off rather tragically and then a couple of you know a couple of seasons later they bring in lily james to play like the young fun flapper cousin who 
you know, dates a black man and marries a Jewish man and everyone's like, what are we going to do with Rose? Um, and I feel like definitely she's the one who is missed. And obviously it's because Lily James is like super busy right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I would it, have liked to have seen where that character was yeah. at this point in, in history. I think that yeah. would have been very, very interesting. I also um, would have thought it would have been quite fun to see Shirley MacLaine oh, uh, yes. deal with the British royalty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh God! Yeah. Uh, some other things that I really, really liked here. Yeah. Love the music, of course. Yeah. Music so is great. Good. So always, good. always fantastic. Oh, God, um, really, just all the elements in terms of the costumes, the production design, the music, oh, all really, really well done. Um, like I said, the movie is definitely entertaining in that it's uh, it's not paced poorly at all. Um, and I was very, very, even though I did feel that there were a few moments where. Uh, and I don't know. This is, where, this is where it gets a little tricky, right? This is where I start to, you know, from a film critic perspective, I say yeah. to myself, it feels like there are multiple episodes worth of content all crammed uh, within these uh, two hours here. I mentioned before a uh, botched assassination attempt. Uh, we talked before about uh, Thomas Barrow. Um, there's there There are tons of stuff that happens in this that I wish had more time to breathe. And while I'm very impressed that they were able to cram in as much as they did and give each character their own individual arc and storyline, um, there's there's a positive in the sense that, hey, it's great that it all worked out, right? Because it does. I think it adequately works out. But yeah. there was a part of me that also was like, Mm, this stuff is so juicy enough that I wish they had just written another season around all, all of this, you know? It's I think, though... Dull, I, but Abbey yeah. has always moved That is fast. the Julian Fellows way. There's always, like, yeah. 40 plot lines in one episode, it's and you're true. just... You get to the end, and you're like, oh, my God, it's we started back there? Like, <laughs> I do think that... And I understand, and I agree, but I do think that is that, like... That's no different from how Julian Fellows writing typically is, even for the show. Yeah. So it makes sense. That's it didn't feel true. any more crowded to me than one of their Christmas episodes. Yeah, that's a good comparison, actually. Um, I do remember seeing one Christmas episode at one point. So um, and, and that definitely came to mind while watching it. So I'm with you on that, Nicole. Um, I definitely thought while I was watching it, there were there were definitely stuff I was able to follow very well. And there was stuff that I was not able to follow as well. However, um, I think that the universal human experience of what a lot of these characters are going through are very relatable or at least identifiable from other uh, tropes I've seen before in movies and other stories before that even in a vacuum, it made everything pretty easy to follow for the most part. I also think you have these. Yeah, and you have these new plot lines with all the royals. Like, that's all entirely new. And yep. with Imelda Staunton's character, this cousin who has this maid that she's, like, mysteriously going to leave, like, all of her money to. And that's a totally new plot line. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like there's enough in it that's new that you have plenty to follow, even if you haven't seen anything. Um, and I also know some theaters, I know Regal Theaters, are showing, like, a little intro featurette thing to it to kind of give a background on like here's this character and this character and this character which yeah. i watched it and it helped uh, yeah. unfortunately they didn't play it in my theater before the movie started yeah. I, I wish that was mandatory yeah. like they yeah. should just do it for every single showing yeah it's really helpful yeah 
Yeah, totally. But like, I'll, I'll give a great example of this, though. Like, uh, for example, at the end of the movie, when Matthew Good shows up, I'm like, the fuck is Matthew Good doing in this movie? You know, um, and you were lying when you said that your favorite moment was with Violet, because I know that your favorite moment was Matthew Good running up them stairs. Yeah. Um, no, it's absolutely the moment with Violet. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> But you can imagine, like, for something like that, for example, which I found out later, he was a uh, later seasons character. Yes. Um, I, I just was like, okay, I get it. Like, he's the husband that hasn't been around all this time. And I'm sure fans are probably like, oh, there he is, you know? And I, I like, you get that just from watching the movie. At the same time, I thought it was very interesting from that unique perspective of just being like, how much time is left in the movie? Matthew Good just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> uh just to, just, to, just to come yeah. outside of the content of the film, I thought it was fascinating that uh, the box office on this was so strong uh, that, uh, you know, we, we don't want to talk about, you know, demographic age things, but this had an enormous appeal to people over 45. Uh, about 55% of the audience was for people over 45. And they don't come out to movies opening weekend. No. They're not fanboys, but we have to find a new term for over 45 fanboys. We do. (laughs) But like the thing that I think that's very uh, fascinating also about that is, I mean, let's not forget, Downton Abbey had really good ratings when it was on air. And it was seen by a lot of people. Or PBS. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, who knows how much... uh, you know, people uh, were able to catch up with it later on, uh, obviously, you know, so I, I'm not while I'm I, I'm not surprised. I'm actually really not surprised. And I asked people too at my movie theater. You can imagine me, a complete stranger. just coming. <laughs> hey, excuse me. Do you mind if I ask you a question? I actually had like a little notepad with me and I had my pen out. I was trying to make it look like I was doing some research or something. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Um, I just want to know, did you have prior knowledge about this before coming in? And, and someone was like, no, this, this other person was like, no, my girlfriend just wanted to come and see it. Like, and I was like, I just kept asking people and I, I'm online waiting till like, I go in and somebody like was talking about the movie behind me and I like turned around and asked them I was just asking everybody I possibly could mm-hmm. and the bottom line is that uh there were a lot of people going to see this that were like me and or, or even worse hadn't seen it at all <laughs> you know uh I, I thought it was very very interesting but at the end of the day Downton Abbey is in itself like a Marvel or like anything else it's a it's a brand name yeah. It's it absolutely is. Yeah. And and this is honestly like as someone who watched the show and had issues with the show, not gonna lie. Um, it this was everything I would I wanted from a movie of a continuation of this story. Yeah, for any it, fans who are watching, like who are listening to this like it is everything that you could want but here's what I, here's what i want to know or uh, just out of curiosity too did the show end well yes yeah very well um it basically ended i mean similarly to how this did like it was very it was a very warm feeling and everything ends happy and like you know it's julian fellows you know as much as i love him the man never met a cliche he didn't love and run into the ground um and but <laughs> that said, um, he does 
he works with those cliches very, very well. <laughs> and yeah. it, was, it was a challenge, too, because in the final series episode, Carson uh, retired with his new wife, Mrs. Hughes, uh, who was still working at Downton. And servant Mr. Mosley got a wonderful teaching job. So to get so to get them back into the house, you know, was a little bit of a challenge. And they, you know, I, I was I believed it. Mm. I will say I the one thing say- that they dropped is that supposedly um, Daisy, the assistant cook, had moved off to her uh, father-in-law's farm, and she is inexplicably back. Yeah, um, that I, was I don't one care thing. because I wanted her back, but I was also <laughs> like, I see you, Julian Fellows. I see you assuming that we'll have forgotten about Daisy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was slightly upset about that because like she deserved to have her happiness outside of Downton, and it was a big deal that she chose to do that. And like, come on, man! But at the, like, time, at the same time, at the same time, I did not care because like. I, it, you know, you you want to see these characters back together if they're doing if they're going to do this, and it you know it ticks all the buttons. It ticks all the buttons. Yeah. So the question I have though is this: is the film is the film necessary uh, in relation to the rest of the series, or is it just like a like an add on, you know, a nice a nice add on? It is a cherry on top. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. I say that's a perfect description of it, Nicole, actually. Yeah, because like I said, I'm not aware of how the season series ended. So I'm just curious, w- were there loose threads that needed to be explored? Or I'm just curious why Julian Fellows felt the need to do it, I guess. Um, do, do you need a reason other than kitchen kitching? <laughs> but also, I think whatever you have this cast of the fact that he was able to get this many cast members back, like if I was him and I yeah. knew that I could get all these people back and I knew that people still love Downton Abbey so much and people kept saying, you know, are you sure you can't do another season? Why won't you do another season? And people started asking for a movie. And I can imagine as Julian Fellows, you say, OK, I see a lot of people want a movie. The cast all says they're in. I can get funding and do this on a bit of a grander scale. Why wouldn't you do it? And he's already mentioned like a second movie has come up and he he's been, you know, given the line that he's definitely willing to do it. It will depend on how well this one does. And I think that this one is already doing well enough that we may have a second movie in our future. And I think that it will probably do just as well as this one, to be honest. I I suppose we would not be surprised to know that uh, the last person to sign on was Maggie Smith. Oh, no, I'm not, not surprised, surprised at all. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, we need a full house. That, that, may, be, that may be the starting point yeah. of the next movie. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, that ending, as much as it's a perfect ending, is also a perfect setup for if they want to bring everyone back. Yeah. It's how do we go on now that, you know, Granny is dead and gone. And I would love to see, like, to give Penelope Wilton, who is such a good actress, and I just oh, love God, her, but yes. to give her you know, a plot line of how does she deal with this woman who had been kind of her, her rival and her antagonist who became her best friend. And how does she deal with her being gone? And how does Cora deal with kind of stepping up into her role in the village? You know, all of that. And also, if you think if we got another movie, if we jump forward two more years, we're in 1929. Yeah. And how does Downton Abbey weather Mm -hmm. the beginning of the depression and the beginning of, you know, war starting to ramp up in Europe and you know things at that time are not great and 
I think that would just be, I mean, I'm all for it if if they do decide to go for it. And I, I can't <laughs> imagine that they wouldn't if they can get enough of the cast back. Yeah. This is not a criticism against the movie. This is me just stating a uh, blank statement. I prefer for stories to end. Yeah. And that's and that no no and and that's just because for me I I think oh, that's I just that. a much more enriching experience. Um, it annoys me and it pains me. Um, I'm very extremely conflicted over the fact that there's going to be a Breaking Bad movie. Um, my belief is that also in movies too, uh, when a trilogy ends or um, like just a really well told story. The fact that Hollywood always feels the need to have to keep going back to the well and or or milking the cow, uh, the cow dry or whatever you want to call it, it really annoys me um, because also, too, it kind of also signifies on, on one hand, you're extremely grateful to be spending more time with characters that you love and that you're very invested in. Yeah. That's that's the truth. I, there are fewer words that send me into as big a tailspin as sequel announced. Yeah, you know, like for a movie that did not need one, right? It it just like I let things stand on their own, and I if, if, even going when they announced that they were doing a Downton Abbey movie, I was like, oh come on well that's immediately why i asked you guys did the season end in a satisfactory manner where all loose ends were tied up because if they weren't then i would see the need kind of like what deadwood like deadwood the movie needed something to yes. kind of tie things up you know because that's that show got canceled you that's know a different so i don't know it, it, but if this is going to just be a nice reunion a nice warm welcome hug back and now they announce that they're going to do it again um it, it it better it, it let's just put it this way it better turn out it better turn out good because the minute one of them comes out and it's not good it, the the feeling is gonna wear off and it's gonna just be another classic example of Hollywood once again just beating something into the ground I until mean, it has saw nothing that left with Sex in the City yeah yes everyone mm-hmm. great example the first one it you know no one I think really loved it but people liked it and made tons of money so they thought yep we're doing another one and that second one was freaking terrible i think it also comes down to like is this something that the fans actually want because the answer is always going to be yes well is it though like did any of us want another fantastic beast and where to find the movie (laughs) yeah like (laughs) i'll be honest like if (laughs) if they do not do another downton abbey movie I will be fine with that. Also, you'll buy a ticket the minute a new one's announced. <laughs> I mean, probably, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's an interesting thing to it's a, it's a very interesting thing to explore. At the end of the day, you know, it's like um, I'm really, really happy when Robert Downey Jr. you know kills off his character. Spoiler alert, and that signifies okay, we're done with this. Now we're forced to move on to something new. Like I said, this is actually this is actually I'm going on too long on this point because this actually has nothing to do with the movie. This is more of like just a topic and a bullet point that this movie kind of, I guess, brings up. You know what I mean? Um, It'll be interesting to see if they do another one. I'll be very, very curious because I thought the way that this ended was really, really nice. I I love the ending very, very much. But I feel like. Also, Julian Fellows is very good at endings in terms of, like, each season feels really nicely contained. Like, it's not one of those shows, I feel like. I mean, well, with one exception. But 
a lot of the seasons end with a, an episode that managed just to wrap up most of the major plot lines of that season. Mm-hmm. And then you can go on and open new ones in the next season. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I That's, feel like if, if I trust anyone with it, it's him. Yeah. I agreed, Nicole, because I mean, the, each season felt very thought out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one of those situations where, oh my God, I'm up to uh, episode two and I don't know what to do. Uh, There seems to be a game plan every season. And I felt there was a game plan with this film, Uh, even though, yes, you could argue that it's not necessary. But it is uh, I found it to be a warm bath. And obviously, a lot of other people did, too. And uh, if they come back with another one, I hope they have a good idea. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. That's all we can hope for at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Final thoughts. Uh, Thoughts. Let them flow. What do you guys got? I just want to give another shout out to um, the costume designer of this film. Um, These costumes are, I think, easily some of the most gorgeous that we've seen thus far this year. Um, Mm. Especially we haven't really had any other big period dramas come out thus far in this year. And, you know, on this scale and Anna Robbins work in seasons five and six was beautiful. But this is just on a whole nother level. And, you know, it felt like every costume piece that came onto the screen was more beautiful than the last. And I just... I was so blown away by them. I, the costumes are gorgeous. I the the setting is always as beautiful, and I really there were few things this year that I will see in the theaters that give me as much joy as th- that shot of Carson walking back oh. up to the manor in all its glory. And I'm just like, that would not feel the same on a TV screen, no matter how big it was. Oh, I cried. It, would, it, it, it wouldn't. Cried. And the, <laughs> the other thing that I, I don't think I've laughed harder at anything this year than Molsey's big moment. Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I was great. Downton Abbey than I did in Booksmart. Like... I seriously, I, I, I was sitting there going, no! <laughs> and of course, like the old ladies who were sitting in front of me at numerous points turned around and gave me the evil eye. <laughs> and I don't care. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> okay, on that note, I will say I went on, they did like a special early, one week early um, screening at some theaters across the country. Yeah. And I went on that night and it was the most wonderful experience because it was a packed theater. There wasn't an empty seat. And it was one of the, the bigger theaters uh, in my movie theater. And it was full of people who obviously had such a love and a passion for Downton Abbey. And it honestly felt like being at a Marvel or a Harry Potter premiere Mm -hmm. in that people were laughing and crying and gasping. And like, it was this beautiful community experience with people that I feel like don't typically get to have that kind of experience because they're not the Marvel fans or the Harry Potter fans or whatever. And it just, it was so fun to like watch everyone else react to this movie and how into it everyone was and like everybody was crying and laughing and i just had the best time like if you can see it like in a sold out theater it's so fun and make sure you see it in a uh, theater that has proper calibration um i watched this entire movie with the tint oh, on no. the uh, screen off oh no! so my screen was uh slightly blue all throughout oh, uh man. which was i know i know i uh i said something to the uh, theater operators afterwards because i was livid uh, this is the second time this has happened to me at this particular theater in this particular 
screen and it made me believe that nobody has said anything so i was like i'm gonna say something (laughs) (laughs) but i mean it didn't detract from my enjoyment from the movie at all um it 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 wasn't it wasn't terrible i still got everything i needed in terms of the visuals and cinematography it was just like i said it was like Though as if somebody just turned the tint and turned it to cool mode instead of normal or warm. You know what I mean? <laughs> my, my final thought is that I'm, I'm just so happy and so encouraged that after a summer where smart movies for adults died, uh, oh, that yeah. something like this can open at number one unexpectedly simply because of uh, people who want to see it and they they showed up for it. And I hope they have a good, solid week two, because hopefully the, the success of this film will encourage other studios to, uh, you know, take a chance on uh, smart adult movies. You know, I love focus features. <laughs> yeah. It's their biggest opening weekend for any movie ever from that studio. That's true. Which is pretty Which crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, final thought, uh, oh, random thought. Uh, I wrote this down out of the blue, nowhere. Mark Addy appearance. Fuck yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I just was like, ah, there's my king. This Mark honestly, Addy. like this ensemble cast is so good. I would not be surprised at all if they got a SAG ensemble nomination. I wouldn't be surprised either because, um, let, let, let's ask ourselves, uh, you know, in terms of the voting, for SAG, I mean, television actors can vote yes. in cinema. So why not? When it was on TV. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, There's something it. to be said there. Uh, let's transition over into uh, grades and the Oscar potential, uh, shall we? So grade, Tom. I'd give it a seven. Uh, okay. I, I loved it, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm saving eights, nines, and tens for really great films that you know really kind of use the medium and um a few drone shots was not enough for me nonetheless <laughs> i was in hog heaven all right all right dan i for me it is a solid eight i just because of the sheer enjoyment and fun that i had watching it i think it's a decent film but it is an really entertaining one and it gave me everything that I want for it. And it's one of the most satisfying films on the whole that I've seen all year. Agreed. Uh, Nicole? I'm also an 8 out of 10. Um, it is currently sitting as my number two film of the year. Obviously, I haven't been to all the festivals like you, Matt, and Dan to have seen some of the releases that we have coming. But it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it's 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 a really beautiful film in terms of costumes and production design and everything like that. It's got some really lovely performances. And I think there's something to be said for filmmakers knowing what their audience wants and, you know, giving it to them in a way that still allows them some creative freedom as well. And I just think this is the kind of movie, I mean, I'm going to see it again on Thursday. My coworker's fiance messaged me and was like, can we go? Um, And I'm sure I will buy this on DVD and watch it like 12 times a year. So I, yeah. I'm really happy with it. Uh, Surprise, surprise. Uh, Because of my mixed feelings on this, uh, just due to my unique circumstances, I'm giving it a five because I don't know which way to lean on it. I I really don't. Is this because of your principles of is it a movie, is it not a movie? Or because your actual reaction to the presentation of what the movie was? 
The presentation is what's keeping it positive. So then why not a six? Well, I'm, I'm being pulled. Because it, it, it is both, and I just don't know which way to lean. So I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to abstain completely. <laughs> you can abstain. Sure, that's what the five rating is for. <laughs> I'm neither positive nor negative. <laughs> it is what it is. But listen, I'm unique, you know? I'm, I'm representing, I'm, representing I'm sure, a very, very small portion of the listening audience right now. Believe me. <laughs> I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. All right. How often do you get to do that on me? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Not very often. That's why I'm taking the opportunity. It is kind of refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do we all agree that Maggie Smith is best in show? Um, <laughs> I'm tempted I think for awards, yes. To, I mean, for, yeah. I'm tempted really hard to give it to the guy who plays mostly. <laughs> He was, he, I, I swear to God, that moment that with the king and queen at dinner, oh, uh, oh my, my God. So good. And the way it slowly dawns on him what he just yep. did. The, the editing and the cutaways to everyone's like <laughs> facial re- expressions in the moment, just brilliant. <laughs> I, I also, I mean, obviously I think Maggie Smith is the one out front. She's the one who will get any nominations like SAG and uh, BAFTA and maybe even an Oscar. I don't know. Supporting actress is a yeah. weird field this year. Um, but I do wish that like it was a year where Robert um, James Collier could get some uh, recognition for his work as Thomas Barrow because it's it's very much a supporting role. But that scene where he walks into the speakeasy and everything just plays out over his face. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was it's one of my favorite acting moments of the entire year thus far. Uh, yeah, that was a really powerful moment. It's beautifully done. I definitely think Maggie Smith is in contention. I think that could that could happen. I'm not. Re- I am not predicting it though. Not yet. Um, I, I need to see some things happen. And I'll be honest with you. Even if she does get in at places like SAG and at BAFTA, I'll still be hesitant. But. I'm sure you'll you'll all convince me by that point. <laughs> there is a really nice little reminder in the film that like she's not immortal. And yep. <laughs> she's gonna die one day. And if they want to reward her again, they will. Now's their time to do it. You know what I mean? Like I think that, that that's gonna that could work in her favor. And I also think that she's she seems to be a generally well liked person in the industry and that also could I, yeah her favor that's true and and, and, and and nicole you know you gotta believe that this this went like gangbusters of the academy oh i'm sure you know it did and like that's the other thing this is probably the most quotable script of the year yeah so far i mean i everything that came out of maggie smith's mouth practically is a gem and just ugh, god it's great six oscar nominations two wins one for best supporting actress one for best actress i would say discounter at, at your own peril mm-hmm. my um i remember before the movie came out i remember thinking to myself i wonder how many members within the academy have seen the show but I can tell you that for things like Maggie Smith, the costumes and the production design, I think it's irrelevant. I think that uh, they can all squeak nominations, uh, whether you've seen the show or not, honestly. Yeah. Absolutely. It's in their wheelhouse. Yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe less of the production design, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I don't think the production design will come, but 
only because like they've <laughs> how much production design do they actually do for this movie specifically? Right, you know? they just have a beautiful I, castle. Yeah, and they've <laughs> done it all for the TV show already. I I don't think it'll, but costumes I think will are definitely in contention and obviously Dame Maggie, especially in a quote-unquote weak field. Yeah. I also think that it's not impossible that it could get um, hair and makeup. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm always one to always kind of discount the hair portion of the award. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I always forget about. I always When I think of the makeup category, I think of makeup. Uh, but I always then remember, oh, but it's called makeup and hairstyling so there tends to always be at least one there tends to be at least one period drama nomination every year and i think Mm, that's not that's not entirely true not every year but it happens a lot but there's lots of hair in this yeah yeah and i think that there's probably more hair in this than there is in something like little women yeah based on the trailers sure i could see that and also like little women is about like a relatively poor family like they're not gonna have tiaras like we do in this film um so i i think it's not out of the running i think it's definitely like shortlist material at the very least yeah and one thing i know for sh- for certain uh john lund will not be eligible for best original score no which makes me sad because god damn it that score is so, so beautiful good. yeah no but you're right it's, it's too much yeah yeah yeah. Matt, he better be eligible in our next Best Picture Awards, though. <laughs> I mean, it depends on if you're voting for him. <laughs> All righty. Uh, with that said, anything else before we go? No. I will address that there is a conundrum that Dan and I discussed of what on earth movie snack works with this film. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, Popcorn doesn't that. feel right with it, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels too uh, improper, if you yes. will. Yes, I like, I did, I was, because I was, I saw it after work um, and I was hungry. I was saying to Nicole, <laughs> like, I want something to eat, but like, I, I don't know. I feel like the Dowager Countess would like, you know, give me the death glare if i were to be munching popcorn all the way through this yeah if, if only they serve scones and uh, oh, if, yeah. only. And, uh, <laughs> if only i was watching this at home on television with a cup of wine there are some theaters that serve <laughs> that is wine true. now that is true mm-hmm. i won't i won't take that away from some movie theaters good on them yep. <laughs> it is it is an urge that needs to be satisfied <laughs> <laughs> okie dokie people that is downton abbey here on the next best picture podcast nicole tell everyone that's listening where they can find you on the internet you can find me at nicole ackman 16 come talk down with me <laughs> <laughs> tom o'brien i am at thomas e o'brien dan bayer you can find me on twitter at Danson dan on film and you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Downton Abbey here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate your feedback there. Rate us five stars. Anything less than that is unacceptable. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.